Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver. And our word on 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 105.0 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Joining me today, we've got Mr. John Copenhaver. How are you doing, John? I am doing splendidly, Al. How are you? I am wonderful. Good. Aren't, aren't we? Aren't we just uh, you know Delightful. so positive? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So what's going on in the John world? You uh, you got the outright coming up, and you got Bouchercon coming up. You're just gonna. You're busy. Wow. Yeah, I have a have a lot of. I don't know why. Like the school year begins, and like all these conferences happen all at once. But yeah, so um, the outright DC is happening doing a, a panel on. on uh, queer crime fiction um, with some great uh, authors that many of them have been on your show. Um, and so that's, I'm looking forward to that. That's kind of, you know, easy virtual stuff. And then, um, you know, voucher con in San Diego is going to be a lot of fun, but exhausting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause you got to do that. Then come right back to school. Right. Yeah, I do. I do. And that's always the trick. Like how, how, how to have enough fun, but not too much fun at these conferences. <laughs> yeah. God, you know, at my age, just, it's just the flight alone is enough to hit, make me hungry. Yeah. So I don't know, man, that's crazy, but good luck to you and stuff. And, but that's all right. You're energized. You saw Barbie. I did. I did. I, I like Barbie. I did. <laughs> I liked it better than Oppenheimer. To be well, honest. Well, I mean, they're two different things, right? I mean, I, I haven't seen either. So, um, Oppenheimer's is very serious and, and long. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. You long. see, that's the thing. You know, I, I, I'd want to see it, but I'll wait till it's, uh, 
on my TV because, you know, three hours and ten minutes for someone in their 60s is a long time. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I have to visit the bathroom too much or bring my own bag or something. I don't know, man. It's just I think mean, arguably it's a long time for anyone. Um, but, uh, I mean, it, both both have lots of virtues, so it's not that one was bad, but um, I uh, it was just uh, it was a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd, I'd be interested. I'll see both, but not. Not not like everyone else. I'm not waiting in pink in a lineup. And oh, come on, Al. No, I'm <laughs> getting too old for this thing. You know, we've got an author that's been here for. It's been a while now, but he's got another new book out. It's called Murder at the Oasis, and it's a private detective Mason Adler mystery, and it's book three. So, Mr. David S. Peterson, thank you for being here. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. David, what's going on with you? So were you at Barbie? Yeah, I was at Barbie, too, and I did wear pink. <clears throat> I wore pink shorts <laughs> and pink underwear, so there you go. Oh. oh. I was pink all under. Well, there you go. So you see you see the movie, and uh, did you like it? I did. I really did enjoy it. I loved Barbie. I loved Ken even more. So. <laughs> well, everybody loves Ken. Oh, yeah. Everybody loves Ken. So Barbie, but, yeah. you know. Uh, it's, it was it was a good movie. I I definitely enjoyed it. It definitely wasn't just for kids. In fact, I think it was more for adults than anything else. But yeah, yeah, I've heard that, but it surprises me because the ads for it make it look very, you know, it it looks like a kind of a funny, silly movie. It doesn't look like anything serious. Yeah, and there there definitely are some very. It's a funny movie, but there are very some, some very serious, moving parts to it. I mean, Rhea Perlman has a has an excellent role in it. Yeah, her parts are very touching. Yeah, and it's almost a kind of a Trojan horse movie. You think you're getting this one thing, and you do get some of that, but you get all, there's a lot of like substance, like uh, underneath uh, the you know silliness of, in the pink. <laughs> exactly. I like to see Ken's moving parts, but <laughs> now, well, I just heard a lot of negative too, in the sense, you know, of course, conservatives are saying it's man-hating. I, I wouldn't say it's man-hating. I would say it's it's woman-affirming, and you know? so that would be. I think that's that's more my take on it. It makes a point, I think, that is probably uncomfortable if you're particularly conservative. Yeah. Yeah, it's strange, uh, but that seems to be the whole case of society right now. There's just a lot of, you know, like straight pride, and there's a lot of, it's like having two kids, you know, and one's getting the attention, so the other one's upset. Yep. Acting out. Now, now listen, so you've written a new book, and this is exciting. So this is book three of your uh, detective Adler book. Yep. Um, so how did this all begin for you? Like, because you, you were saying earlier, this is your 10th mystery what got you into mystery, or what do you think got you into mystery? Um, you know, I grew up with reading all of the Agatha Christie and Dashiell Hammett stuff and the Humphrey Bogart films and uh, all, all the Raymond Chandler stuff, and I was fascinated by it. So when I, when I got a little bit older, I thought, oh, that'd be a lot of fun to, to try my hand at writing one. Um, my first actual book that I ever wrote was a gay romance, and it was dreadful and awful. <laughs> so I shelved that really quickly, and I, I think I found that uh, mysteries are more my forte, so I, that's how I got started in it. So yeah, I wrote seven Heath Barrington books, um, Detective Heath Barrington books, and this is the third Mason Adler. This one takes place in Palm Springs, which is a lot of fun and new location. 
and always a fun location to visit. Um, we'll be there in September as well. So it's a place I love to go, and I thought it'd be a fun place for uh, for Detective Mason Adler to go as well. What, what didn't you like about uh, writing gay romance? Like, what was what was the issue with it? You just don't like writing romance, or you know, I, I have nothing against um, writing gay romance. I certainly like to read it. Uh, I just it was a just I didn't do a very good job at it. <laughs> I might take another stab at it at some point. But I found that I was, I was more prone to writing the mysteries. So um, I'm actually toying with the idea of a combination book, like a romance slash mystery. And I put a few ideas down on paper. I haven't gotten very far, but I think that might be an interesting way to go as well. I guess in a way you have to feel it to write it. Is that how it works for you? Yeah, to a degree, for sure. You've mentioned Raymond Chandler. Uh, how important was he to you? What was he? What was he to you? Who is he for me? He's he's definitely an inspiration. I mean, I, I've I've always been fascinated by pretty much anything that he's ever done. I take what he writes and turn it over in my head and and turn it gay because of course I have a lot of LGBT characters and and uh, start creating a mystery. And I usually start at the end of a book because I have to know who gets murdered and how they get murdered and why they get murdered and who does it and what clues are going to leave. And then I go back and fill in all the blanks. So it's kind of like watching uh, a Raymond Chandler movie in reverse in my writing process, as a matter of fact. So, so it's important to outline for you. Yeah, yeah. In a, in a mystery, I definitely have to have an outline. I, I will veer from it and change things as I go, change characters, change settings, all that kind of stuff, change character names. But, yeah, I definitely have to have at least... I at least have to have an ending in mind and then work from that so that everything works together. When you're writing your own character, how would you describe your relationship with your characters that you write in the books? Oh, I have a very, very familiar relationship with them, especially the main characters. There's always a little bit of me. I think, I think most authors probably put a little bit of themselves into their main characters because, after all, you know, we're the ones that know, each, know ourselves best. So uh, I think I think that's an important thing for me, at least, to have a little bit of myself in my main character so that I can relate to him, so that I can kind of know what he's going to do and what he's going to think and how he would react in a more natural way. Do you actually have a – how do you write the dialogue? Do you feel like uh, – do, do you feel them? Do you hear them? Do you see them? What's your experience with your characters, or do you just not – do you get nothing? Oh, I love writing dialogue. That's, that's probably one of my favorite things to do, and um, that's something I've, I've been fortunate enough to get some nice compliments back on. So I will just start writing dialogue. I've always been really good at role play, <laughs> so to speak, and uh, different types of different types of things when I when I just start off the top of my head improvising. And so that naturally allows itself to write really good dialogue, too, and come up with things as I go. So, yeah, it just flows off the top of my head. I start writing. You usually start when you're, you know, crafting a scene. Do you usually start with dialogue, or do you start with sort of a situation, um, or is it some other entry point? To, to, when you're, and I guess when you're talking about a scene or a chapter or however you divide things up. Yeah, typically, if I, like, with, with the with current book that I just finished, Murder at the Oasis, I'll, I started at the end, 
and I wrote how the main detective, Mason Edler, solved the crime. And it was all dialogue, so, you know, I discovered that you did X, and this is why you did this, and etc. And then there's this back and forth, and then I go start at the very beginning, and I'm like, okay, how am I going to get this thing, how am I going to get the ball rolling? So it just, it's, I start writing dialogue, so... Uh, I prefer dialogue, actually, to descriptive scenes. I mean, descriptive scenes are important, but I like to let the dialogue do most of the talking, so to speak, and go from there. So that's that's basically how I work. Now, have you, you – it sounds like you kind of work from the back, and then you sort of know where things are headed. You've, you've outlined and, and, you know, structured it, and you kind of write into it. Have you ever had a situation that – you know, through that process, have changed things significantly, like had a discovery that you weren't planning on. Um, I often think about this because I'm, I'm, I kind of personally as a writer fall somewhere in the middle. I, I do a lot of outlining, but then I have, you know, I'd always, I'd always adhere to my outline. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I can relate. Yeah. I mean, I definitely start with an outline, but it has changed. Uh, in the, in the Mason Adler series, in the very first book, which was Murder on Monte Vista, one of the characters I originally had planned on being the murderer. And actually, in writing the book, uh, I enjoyed this character so much, and I enjoyed writing the dialogue for this person, that I ended up changing it and making this person a recurring character. So, now in all three books, whereas originally it was supposed to be the murderer and a one-shot one thing. So it's kind of like a guest star in a sitcom that audiences love and they bring back as a regular. So Yeah, I love it. Right, now now I wonder if you're ever going to make them be a murderer. I guess probably not if, they've, uh, if they're a beloved character. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Probably not. That would be interesting. Um, I was just, I was just curious about, um, you know, your, so you have sort of these two inspirations. You mentioned, uh, Raymond Chandler and Agatha Christie. In a lot of ways, they're oppositional, though, because you got one's private eye, uh, very American character, and you've got, like, Agatha Christie with the sort of, uh, puzzle mysteries. Do you, you know, as you're, you know, do you lean more to one or another, or do you find some, you know, place in the center of those two things? Yeah, that's a good point, John. A good, um, I never really thought about it that way, but definitely my early books, uh, especially the Heath Barrington ones, I think leaned far more towards the Agatha Christie side of things. Um, the later series, the Mason Adler books, I think are leaning more towards towards the Raymond Chandler side of things. But there, I think there's always a little bit of crossover between the two, and, and I do love them both. And I think there's room for both of them in my books. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I feel like people sometimes talk about them as, uh, well, you have to choose a lane. You're either like... <laughs> right. And I, I personally, I would hate to feel that way as a reader because I enjoy both as a reader. So why would I, you know, why would I do that as a writer? Um, exactly. It's limiting. <laughs> It's good to be versatile. Right. <laughs> oh, you guys are disgusting. <laughs> I have no idea what you mean by that. Yeah. My, poor, my poor ears. Uh, we're, we're simply talking about authors. Of course you are. <laughs> yes. 
Well, you know, I'm um, I'm wondering, but when you put the story together, like when you 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 know you have the ending, the murder, that sort of thing, and you're working your way back, do you also have a a meaning, or you're hoping the reader picks up that's not necessarily the direct story, but maybe something that the story relates to, like a message? Yeah, is there some sort of definitely? I mean, my 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 books so far have all been historical, set in the forties. Uh, the, the the mystery romance that I'm telling with is more contemporary, but. Because the other ones are all historical, I always hope that the reader, the main thing that they will take away besides just enjoying the book is that we have always been here as LGBTQ plus people. Um, we've always been around. Uh, we just had to be a lot more hidden in the past. And hopefully they will come away with a history of what LGBTQ plus people went through in the past and in some cases are still going through and that you know it's as they say it's important to remember the past so as not to relive it so redo it so that's that's one of my biggest biggest uh, goals in in writing historical fiction is to educate the people as to what life was like back then and and what the struggles were how do you how do you get your research done in that area like what do you do to um make it to make it fit the time, how much do you look for? Research is critical for me because um, I want to be accurate. I, I've read some some books, I won't name names, but uh, clearly they didn't do a great deal of research. For, <laughs> there was one set in the twenties, and the main you know the main character, the, one of the people, one of the characters said to the main character, "Oh, thank you so much," and the main character said, "No problem." I'm like, yeah, they didn't, they didn't say that in the 20s. So uh, I try to be very accurate in my research. And, of course, you know, of course I Google, but I always cross-check my references. I also go to the library. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have a library within walking distance to where I live. So I rely on that a lot as well. And uh, yeah, it's, it's important. And I was also fortunate enough... Um, I live in Arizona right now, but I've lived in Wisconsin, and I used to know two very sweet gentlemen who have since passed away. They're both in their 90s. They'd been together over 60 years, and I sat down and did a in-depth interviews with them and uh, got a lot of fascinating information from them as well. That's where you learn the importance of being versatile. <laughs> exactly. I think it's fascinating kind of thinking about the way that, you know, of course, we have idiomatic phrases that we don't use anymore, or rather, we we use now, but didn't use then. But also, things that we don't use anymore, and it feels like such a thing that um, that it does take some attention. You do have to pay attention to those things. Um, of course, like the base, you know, historical facts. You're looking. Of course, you don't get those wrong. Although I've read books that did get those wrong, um, but I think that you know some of the finer details really matter because it does kind of set the tone and the mood, um, you know, and I think, but people, people didn't say, you know, no, no problem or whatever, whatever, you know, at a certain time. And, and I think that um, it, you do have to sort of take care with that, uh, you know, do you, where do you find that research? Where do you like look for that kind of, detailed research. Of course, I know the library, but what kind of sources? I will say jeepers, by golly, you're right. 
You can also do too much of it, right? Too. You can like lay it all too thick, like it's <laughs> you yeah. found a list someplace, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna use every word. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, there, you know, I, we live in an age where we're so lucky to have the internet because I mean, if you Google 1940s phrases, and there, you come up with a long list of information. But yeah, you have to. Fit it in appropriately uh, because yeah, otherwise it just comes off something totally phony. So for sure. And I, the other nice thing is I watch a lot, a lot, a lot of old movies. I always have. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I think I mentioned that earlier. And not just the old mysteries, but I, used to, I grew up on the MGM musicals and 
all that stuff from the 40s. It's just like one of my all-time favorite things. So definitely I learned a lot of the dialogue from there as well. You know, a lot of those, uh, I mean, that's really true. It's so interesting to particularly those period films because uh, I know I come, I, I, I kind of, you know, come up in, in, or confront this problem in my own work. Like, although that is a place where we can go for some of this, you know, stylistic, you know, feelings of the time period, people didn't actually talk like they talked in movies because of the, Hayes code and everything. So, you know, you're always like, okay, how much of this is stylized for Hollywood? How much of it, how much of this is actually period? You know, exactly. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a really interesting because we don't, luckily don't have the Hayes code now, but uh, I was also going to say like that some of the film wars from like the late forties and early fifties had just amazing plots. And I'm always like, if you want to find a great plot, you're like, you know, struggling for that. Like, just look, watch some of those films. Um, you know, the famous ones, of course, but there's a lot of like, I guess, excellent but less well-known movies. And so much of that dialogue back then, even with the Hayes Code, was just so fast and so quick. And there were a lot of double entendres that they slipped in yeah. that I thought were pretty darn awesome. So. You know, it's just, it's that constraint made for more creativity. It really did. I mean, they're like, how can we get around this without, you know, getting caught? So it was very cleverly done. If you really listen to it, it's like, wow. Well, sort of like watching the Barbie movie when they're talking about, I'm going to beat you off. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's that coded. I mean, in fact, it's really interesting because it fits well when you're writing, you know, LGBTQ characters because there was so much coding going on there as well. And so it, it, it works. It works. Yep. Sadly, there had to be a lot of that back then. So it's, and, a, and a lot of people, you know, even to this day, uh, are still cautious so in certain situations. Yeah, I certainly have to be. In <laughs> Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a fascist state. <laughs> <laughs> you had a big divorce on your hands, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, that's how it goes. Mm. You know, old Trudeau's turning gay, you know. Oh. That's the story. Well, that's the case. I'm, I'm, I'm heading to Canada. <laughs> no, that's all, the, that's all the gossip. All the gossip is that he's, he's going to come out now. Oh, I don't know if I believe that. Whenever people start gossiping too much. That's, that's, that's conservative pushing. Oh, yeah, well, you can see why. You know, he's obviously gay. Like, that's just a lot of talk, but, you know, <laughs> hopeful talk, you know, on the. <laughs> <laughs> wishful thinking. Uh, yeah. Wishful exactly. thinking. Yeah. Well, you know, myself, when I do old books, I always like getting into the newspapers and going through it for the year, kind of going through every day to, to see what they're, see what they're, complaining about and who they like and who they dislike and what's going on in the media, you know, with their TV, television or movie stars, depending on the time. Right. And, and stuff. Yeah. You can get, you can get a lot of gossip and how they approach each other, how they talk about each other. Um, I think that's a really good way. Oh yeah. That's another source. Yep. Where do you see yourself going with this now? This is like obviously book three of three. Now, are you ending this series here or are you going to continue? Um, for for the time being, I, I am. Um, I'm excited uh, that I have another, you know, my publisher picked up another book for next year, but it's not a Mason Adler. It's it's something totally new. 
Um, so I'm going to be experimenting for a little while anyway with some standalones as opposed to series books. So we'll see how those go and what they do. And you know, as I mentioned, I'm also working on the mystery romance contemporary story, which is has its own challenges for me, but I'm having a lot of fun with it so far. So yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens. But for now, I'm, I'm shelving uh, the, the Heath uh, Barrington and the Mason Adler, and well, we'll see what the future brings. Well, what happens to your characters then? So when you walk away and you finish, do you, do they do they stick with you, or do you just forget them? Are you a love them and leave them kind of guy, or what? <laughs> We're still talking about the books. Yeah, well, whatever it takes. <laughs> as far as the characters go, they all—they're always going to be in my head. Um, you know, I, I've even written another Heat Barrington book uh, three years after the fact, but uh, I haven't done anything with it, so to speak. It's just kind of sitting there in my in my in my shelf, but. Uh, yeah, they'll always be there. They're always a part of me because I'm a part of them. So I can't, I can't just leave them behind. So, you know, other men in, in particular, I could, but, you know. Oh, of course. But so this is a continuing <laughs> relationship in a way, like these characters. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Because, yeah, I mean, we're a part of each other. So I can't just, can't just say goodbye and, and never visit them again. Yeah, especially you know their name, so. Yes, and they know my <laughs> And they know my secrets, so. Well, I wonder about that. How much of yourself comes out in these books or in some of the characters? Is it a way of, of um, bringing out some of your own feelings or secrets, let's just say, or something like that? I think I think definitely so. Uh, I've gotten a lot of comments, especially in the Heath Barrington books, that, that they can totally see the main character in me, and they can see me in the main character. So, yeah, I, I definitely, sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously, uh, put a lot of myself in there. Like, uh, I have a bit of an underwear fetish in real life, so sometimes the characters talk about underwear a lot. <laughs> I know you don't wear any, but, um, you know, but, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, things like that, and foods that they eat and foods that they like and things, it's, it's generally often a part of myself. Um, but I'll, I'll let you all figure out what that all is besides the underwear thing. <laughs> yeah, it's your secret that you're writing. You don't want to leave a few secrets. Yeah, of course. Yeah. A few mysteries, yeah. so to speak. Well, and, and so the, the bad character or the bad thing that happens in the book or whoever's responsible, do you have problems writing an evil person? No. Nope. They're actually a lot of fun to write. Um, they're sometimes more fun <laughs> than the good guys. Kind of like actors say they enjoy playing the evil parts better. Uh, because, you know, these characters can say and do things, obviously, that I would, I would never even dream of doing in real life. So uh, sometimes it's fun to get a little frustration out. And I know that in the end, they're going to get punished for what they do. So it's, it's all good. Have you ever punished someone that you know in real life in your books? <laughs> I want some names. I'm not saying. Come on, let's get <laughs> I'm not saying. I've got my pen and paper here, so let's give me some names. We'll, we'll get them on the line right now. We'll call them. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. <laughs> so interesting. You, I, it's, it's such an interesting. Uh, I know you've asked that question before, and there are definitely authors that that do will say like, you know, I bumped into some lady at the grocery store, and she was really nasty to me, so I put her in a book and killed her. 
I think it's hysterical. And it's, it never occurs to me to do that. I don't know why, but you know, it's 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 interesting to sort of how like writing can be therapeutic that way. <laughs> it can be very therapeutic that way for sure. Sort sort of like the old joke that somebody said. My therapist told me to write letters to all the people I hate and then burn them. And then so, so I did that. And now I have this stack of letters I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> How long does it take you to do one of these stories? Like, what, what's the, the with everything, the research and the timing and putting the story together and developing the characters and stuff? What's your average time level? It typically takes about a year. Um, sometimes less, sometimes more. This current mystery romance that I'm writing, I started in 2001, um, but it's one of those things that I, I work on it, and then I put it back on the shelf for a while, and then I work on it. So it's not like I'm doing it every single day, so I, I, it comes and goes for me. But typically, a book is start to finish about a year. Have you ever done a manuscript, and it just didn't work, and you just kind of shelved it, and go back to it later or well the very first one i wrote oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but does that ever happen to you? you get an idea and characters and you put them all together and you kind of go okay and then as you start working on it like four months later you're like oh no I, it just doesn't work yeah it doesn't typically take too long um but yeah if you if you look at my my folder on my computer there's there's a lot of started things that i've never finished and should probably just go back and delete because I, I do start them and I'm like, yeah, this, I don't like where this is going. It's not, it's not talking to me. So I, I shelve it and move on to something else. And every once in a while I, I will go back and revisit some old projects and start again. But most of the time they just sit there. As a reader, what makes a good book for you? Uh, what makes a good book to me? It depends on the type of book. Um, if I'm writing, if I'm reading a romance, you know, I like, I always, I'm a sucker for happy endings. Um, it's, you know, the typical rom-com thing. I, I love a good rom-com. So if it can make me laugh and it can make me feel good at the end, it's, it's a fabulous book. I'm just a sucker for that. I, I, hate books that make me depressed at the end. <laughs> but I know sometimes those are important to read. Uh, so I, I do pick up those occasionally, too. I also read some biographies. I'm reading a really good biography right now uh, on the life of George Michael by James Gavin, which is excellent. And um, I also read, you know, mysteries, obviously. Um, I always find them interesting. A good mystery to me is something where I can't figure out the ending. Uh, and that's something I always try really hard to do is to put in some surprises without making it too off the wall like the person who did it is was only mentioned in one chapter in one sentence and so it's like, <laughs> you know so that's what makes a good book for me it depends it depends on on the type of book though for sure yeah it's interesting like um i mean i think the different methods you go about surprising a reader and how and kind of you know playing over things that surprised you do you have any books that you felt were particularly you know jaw-dropping that you had not guessed um you know or i guess maybe another way of asking this question are there just do you find because you write mysteries that it's hard to sometimes be surprised um you know because you're always seeing the mechanics at work hmm. my husband my husband will definitely say I, i'm a pretty good guesser are pretty good at figuring these things out. 
Uh, not just in books, but TV shows too. I, I can often tell what's going to happen, and maybe that is because I think maybe it is because I think that way, and I just I work that way. But uh, there, there's been a few books where I have been surprised. Uh, so yeah, it's always nice. It's nice to be surprised, regardless of the book. So it's 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 a pleasant thing. Yeah, it always seems to me like it's great to be surprised, but not like you know like in a way that makes it feel like oh well of course you know but why didn't i see it you know sort of surprising but inevitable i hate when i'm surprised but it just feels like i'm sucker punched <laughs> yeah like it didn't make any sense exactly that that drives me crazy but when you're like oh how how could i not see that that's the good surprise yeah, and I think someone on uh, on one of the social medias was sort of complaining about, you know, I think this is really just domestic suspense we're talking about, like, so many twists and turns that the psychology doesn't even work anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's something we got to work on. Like, you can't, you know, your characters have to make sense psychologically. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's a challenge. It's not it's not an easy thing to do, so, but, yeah, but it's something we got to always be mindful of, for sure. Yeah, no, it's not easy to do. Of course, that's the joy of it. I mean, that's when it works, right? Right. <laughs> it's not the joy of it when it doesn't work. Right. You're banging your head against the wall. You know, do you find, I, I, it's interesting, because I've been writing, I've been working on a project right now that's set um, it's in, in contemporary time, but most of my novels are historical. Do you find one easier to write than another? Because it sounds like you also are dabbling in different periods. This is my my first foray into a contemporary book, actually. So it's it's kind of interesting, and it, I I'm finding it in a lot of ways, especially from a mystery standpoint, way more challenging. Uh, because like in some of my books, you know, you can't just put people away in an old house and somebody cuts the phone line and all of a sudden they're cut off from outside contact because nowadays there's so many other ways. Everybody's got a cell phone and everything else. So it's like, oh, you got to think about all these different things and how is that going to work and, and how does that change the plot and the story, etc. So there's a lot of different factors, especially with modern technology and writing a contemporary mystery that uh, that didn't exist in the 1940s, and there's different, obviously lots of different forensic methods and different ways of figuring out how something happened, DNA that didn't exist back then, you know, we knew what DNA was, so, yeah, that's definitely, from a mystery standpoint, writing contemporary is more challenging, at least for me. Yeah, I've heard everyone complains um, about cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, how do, and all the finding all the different ways that you can get rid of a cell phone, or have it die, <laughs> or break, or... <laughs> exactly. And when you got like, you know, ten people in a house someplace, it's like, okay, you can't have all ten, fo- ten phones break, so how are you going to handle that? So right. right. Challenging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then what the forensic stuff just speed compressed time, like basically can't actually do the forensic science. Right. <laughs> yeah. It does take time. So, you know, but I think, I think it's difficult. I, um, uh, luck- luckily the contemporary thing I'm working on is a ghost story, not a crime. Oh, novel. see, there you go. <laughs> it sounds fascinating. I look forward to reading it. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to finish writing it. <laughs> and maybe send them one of my 
but yeah, it's it's totally not on brand. But I uh, I think it's uh, it's it's fun to do different things. I agree. Um, it is fun to do different things and and different people. Um, you know, maybe I should maybe I should write a mystery where it's like a a sex party and everybody puts their phones and their clothes in a bag when they first get to the house. See, that's great. And then someone can just like the murderer can just like like do something to the bag, drop yeah. it in the swimming pool or something. <laughs> Done. Problem solved. Seriously, <laughs> that's why you. It's becoming like the, all the creative ways you can get rid of the cell phone, so you can actually have a plot. <laughs> exactly. So, where do people find you? Um, Besides the bar and, and <laughs> the chat like, rooms, <laughs> yeah. Besides that, do you, like are you big social media? Do you have a website? I do. Where, where yeah. do readers and fans uh, go find you? Uh, my website for sure: www.davidspeterson.com, and of course, it's Peterson with a D as in David, so P-E-D-E-R-S-O-N. Uh, davidspeterson.com, um, also on Facebook, also on Instagram, and I'm also recently on Threads. So I'm uh, I'm pretty much all over the place. I, I like I get around, as they say. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard. Now, but TikTok, you're not doing TikTok. I am not doing TikTok at the moment. I was, but you know, for various reasons, I stopped. So it's getting too hot for you. <laughs> wow okay so uh, i appreciate we'll have all that up on the website as well and your new book and everything like that and uh Great, um how how was the um you must have been writing and researching over covid for this book but what, what was that like oh it was totally fine um it was there wasn't a lot else to do so i did a lot of writing during covid <laughs> <laughs> well i guess lots of time but some people uh kind of lost their creativity there. Some people shut down and others went, went wild. So I, it, did it affect your feeling or your emotions yeah. or moods? Or I mean, writing mysteries, I'm always kind of in a dark place anyway, <laughs> so to speak. So uh, I, think, I don't think it affected my writing too much. It, it affected me mentally in some other ways, you know, as I'm sure it did everybody. Writing it didn't affect, so I was fortunate in that regard. We appreciate you being here. Of course, the new book, Murder at the Oasis, and our guest is the author of that book, David S. Peterson. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, gentlemen. It's been such a pleasure. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.